0: hey what's going on automotive world welcome to another episode of the automotive diagnostic podcast my name is sean tipping and i'll be your host once again for today's episode joining me on the show today is adam huber adam hosts another podcast the auto body podcast presented by clarity code and I was recently on an episode of his on his show, so make sure to check that out if you haven't already. Uh, but he's going to join me today, and we're going to discuss uh, a number of things in the auto body industry, which you know I'm pretty unfamiliar with for the most part, like peelable paint and the way that auto body shops work with insurance companies, and he's going to tell us all about his company and how that works with the auto body industry. Um we're also going to get into diagnostics, electrical challenges, a little bit of the diesel world, and a number of other things. But overall, this is a really great conversation. Just flew by. Didn't feel like it was an hour and a half at all. But with that out of the way, let's jump right in. How's it going, Adam? I'm how, doing how, What's
1: new? I'm doing well, man. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah.
0: Definitely. Uh it was uh, good talking to you on uh, your show a couple weeks ago. I enjoyed that quite a bit.
1: Yeah. Uh, it was, we actually got a lot of good responses out of that show. It's It's been pretty surprising to me that I think we're only on episode 10 of the podcast right mm-hmm. now. And it's obviously not hugely popular. I'm not going to sit here and talk about how popular the podcast is, but for a brand new podcast in a niche like auto body I'm kind of surprised mm-hmm. at the kind of downloads that we're getting um and Again, like I'm not trying to brag or anything like that, but we're on every we have had at least one download on every continent except for Antarctica. So I would really love for that to happen. <laughs> <laughs> so I got to find someone who's going to Antarctica and and just download it. Right.
0: right. <laughs> if there's anybody in Antarctica that's listening right now, check out the Auto Body Podcast. That's the full name, right?
1: Uh, I mean, if you want to be technical, the full name is the Auto Body Podcast presented by Clarity Cope. But okay. you can find it if you just literally type in Auto Body.
0: Okay. Well, why don't we start out with that? Uh, you could tell me and the listeners what the podcast all about, why you decided to start it.
1: Uh, so the reason why I started the podcast, um, so this is like probably the fourth or fifth podcast that I have been a part of, you know, actually helped grow it or do it or, you know, however you want to put it. And the company that I own or partially own, I'm I'm a co-founder is called clarity coat and we sell a product called peelable paint um if you want to go into that later on we can but otherwise that's the product category that we're in our main customer is auto body guys um, people who Mm. own auto body shops or techs in there or you know people in that industry and so the reason for the podcast is I actually don't come from the auto body world. I used to own a detailing business. And so I know a lot of like auto body things, but it's not quite the same thing as, you know, owning that business and being in that world. And I joined all of the auto body groups on Facebook and the forums and everything like that. But I just really wanted to talk to these guys and and get a feel for what it's like in their industry and you know, their struggles and everything like that. And just hear some of their stories and so I figured what better way than to do a podcast and basically just have a conversation for an hour and figure out what are their biggest pain points? What are these guys going through and everything like that? Which, I mean, obviously helps us out with Clarity Coat because then we can really dial in what our customer's problem is and everything like that. But really, by and large, it's about I just really wanted to talk to our customer and just get to know them better.
0: Okay. That's cool. Um What, uh, what other podcasts you said you have been involved with a couple other ones? Uh,
1: well, the, all the other ones that I've ever been a part of, uh, well, (laughs) the company that I used to work for, um, here in 2018, 2019, um, I took over their podcast, which was a detailing podcast. Uh, I, I'm almost positive they have let the subscription or payments or whatever lapse because nobody's doing the podcast Mm. anymore. So all of those episodes are, I believe they're dead, which is really unfortunate because there were some insanely good episodes there. Not trying to toot my own horn or anything, uh, but just some really good stories. And the other ones that I've been a part of were more local to Sioux Falls, South Dakota um, type podcasts. So we had one that was called like marketing Monday where we'd interview local, Um, business owners and figure out what their biggest um, pain points were as far as marketing and what they should do to get out there, you know, that type of thing. Um, And that ran for probably about two years. And then um, my friend who was with doing it with me, she got so busy with um, consulting work, which is the reason why Mm -hmm. she wanted to start that one uh, that we didn't continue on with it anymore.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. Isn't it interesting how the whole podcast world has exploded in the last a few years i mean maybe maybe decade but the, especially the last few years it just seems like anything that you're interested in no matter how obscure there's somebody who wants to talk about it for an hour or so <laughs>
1: yeah and one of the things that i think is really fascinating about podcasting is that the format has changed so much in the last couple of years so it used to be that let's go more than three years ago, you would never run a podcast longer than an hour. It just wouldn't happen. Or you would never think about doing a podcast shorter than an hour. And obviously Joe Rogan has been doing podcasting forever and he, you know, broke that mold, but there's so many Mm -hmm. podcasters out there doing podcasts longer than an hour. And I really think that the biggest reason for that is that an hour goes by so fast when you're having a conversation with someone and you're trying to learn from them, which is, Really, I think in order to be a good podcast host or good podcaster, whatever, however you want to put it, you're just you just have to be intensely curious about what the, who who the person is, what they're doing, what their struggles were and all that kind of stuff. You're you're there to learn. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, just in the last two to three years, like literally any topic that you could ever think of, it it is covered and it's become an insanely popular way to get information out there. And I actually mm-hmm. I used to I used to listen to a lot of audiobooks. I r- hardly ever listen to audiobooks anymore because what I do is is if there's an um uh, and a writer that has released a book that I want to listen to, I'll just go listen to the podcasts that they are on for the book the book tour. And then Uh they, they basically do all the bullet points in the book anyways. And so then that's my, that's my reading of the book.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You get all the main points for sure. Yeah. For the books that I do listen to now, I I'll usually hear somebody who's on a show, talk about their book and then, you know, it's from a podcast. I'm like, Oh, this guy sounds really interesting. I'll, I guess I'll listen to this book now, but um, yeah, it's, it's nuts. Um, How many there are. And again, like how every little topic has one. Um, so as you can see, I'm wearing a, a hockey (laughs) cap right now. So I play fantasy hockey with my buddies, right? Mm -hmm. it's, it's like football, but again, a little bit more obscure. You don't, unless you're in Canada, there's not that many people playing fantasy hockey. Well, guess what? There's like five podcasts about (laughs) it. (laughs) So, um, I'll nerd out and listen to that. And, uh, just talk about, you know, oh, this guy got five goals, the other game. Um, But yeah, the long conversations, the length of them, um, I mean, if you think about it in real life, right, you're not going to get to know somebody in less than an hour. You're not going to really understand where they're coming from or the point they're trying to make if you're condensing it down to 20 minutes or 30 minutes. It's such a like prepackaged, it feels like. Salesman-y type of uh, thing that you're getting pushed on you, where right. if you really sit down with somebody and have the whole conversation, you get to, you get to know somebody, not only me talking to them, but the listener too. I think that's why people have enjoyed that. And like you said, yeah, Joe Rogan kind of broke the, the mold on that, but obviously it's the most popular one in the world. So people want that. People want to listen to a three hour show, just two people talking. It's crazy.
1: Yeah. Um, so, uh, two points on that one was when I was looking to do the podcast, I actually did a search for auto body podcasts and I was amazed to find that there was only like six, seven of them, something like that. Some of them weren't being updated regularly, but also on top of that, a lot of those auto body podcasts were podcasts being done by companies for the obvious benefit for the company, you know, like kind of Mm -hmm. doing the hard salesman pitch type of thing, or really putting out the kind of information that's really only relevant to them. And I'm not going to sit here and lie to you. Like, obviously, we're doing the podcast for Clarity Coat. But I Mm -hmm. really try to make a conscious effort to not talk about Clarity Coat to the people that I'm talking to, unless they're already an installer, in which case, obviously, they want to talk about Clarity Coat. But the other point that I would uh, that you brought up Is and I think it's kind of interesting to talk about is we obviously do quite a bit of video creation, um, and content for clarity coat, or we're helping with, um, video creation and content. And when I had my previous detailing business, I did a ton of video content. And one of the things that was always interesting was like when people were like, oh, you only want your video to be like 10 minutes long, 15 minutes max. That's it. Blah blah blah. I just tell them why. And they're like, well, the algorithm, that's what it likes. And I was like, no, <laughs> the algorithm <laughs> likes what people like. That's that's uh-huh. what the algorithm likes. And case in point, the the thing that I always tell them is, When was the last time you went to a movie? And they're like, oh, a couple of weekends ago. And I was like, How long was the movie? And they're like, I don't know, two hours. And I was like, How could you have possibly sat through that? I mean, it wasn't fifteen minute chunks. How could you have possibly sat through that? And they're like, they're confused. And I'm like, if the content is engaging and the storyline is good, people will stick around. Period yep. End of story. It's the same way with podcasting. Now, personally, I hate Joe Rogan's podcast. Cannot stand it. <laughs> I've tried listening to it like a dozen times. I th- I personally think he's an awful podcaster. I just I just don't like
0: his interview style. Um, I was gonna say I'm I'm curious to know. What uh, what you feel makes it that way? I could just for my own podcasting, so I uh, <laughs> can it, avoid such, those things.
1: It's such a personal thing, and a, and I always get a bunch of hate for it when I say so. When I say that stuff, it's not. I did. I I love Joe. I think he's. Uh, I think his content's great, but I can't. I have to watch the YouTube, like hot takes t- part of it, where um, it it only goes over like the five minute conversation or the 10 minute conversation part of it. There's something about his podcasting style that I, I just don't like. It's the same way as when I listen to some podcasts and they constantly interrupt the person that they're interviewing. Can't stand that you are there to um, let that person talk and uh, tell their story and, and get info out of them and everything like that. Gary, I don't know if you know a guy named Gary B.
0: I've heard that name before.
1: Um, He's a very, very, very popular marketer. I love Gary V to death. I, I subscribe to a lot of his theories and everything like that. Cannot watch his podcast because okay. he just interrupts the shit out of people. And I'm like, mm. and I mean, yes, it's a little bit of a personal pet peeve of mine. If someone interrupts me, don't worry about it if you do it or, you know, I'm not that serious. But. When when that's every single episode, like repeatedly, and it's being done multiple times in an episode, I'm like, yeah, I'm out. I I just can't I can't do it. So personal take on that.
0: That's yeah, that's very interesting. I, I know I learned early on when I was doing this that I think in a normal conversation, if I'm just face to face in person with somebody, I'll interject things, just even words like, oh, yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Whereas it is better if I'm doing an interview with somebody, if I just nod rather than actually saying words, and that's for the listening experience, right? Yep. Because if you constantly hear my voice getting thrown in there. Well, and plus people were telling me when I said, okay, in certain situations, it was trigger, triggering their uh, Google. <laughs> whatever the heck you you say okay google and so it was uh turning that thing on so I, i've been trying to like <laughs> stay quiet while the other person is talking as much as possible <laughs>
1: there's there's something super humbling about doing your own content whether it be podcast video whatever it might be you start to pick up on all these little ticks that you have uh for example there's people out there that say like a lot, right? And <laughs> yeah. you, they never realize it until they record their own voice, uh, their own voice, sorry. And then they listen to it back and they're like, holy how could anybody stand to talk to me? Um mm-hmm. yeah, I mean that's just that's just the way it is. Everyone's got their own ticks.
0: Yeah, it's um for me like anytime there's a pause in my sentence, and I've probably done it a bunch of times tonight already. <laughs> and so I know what it looks like as a waveform. When ums coming up <laughs> and I'm talking like, oh, I see it. I'm going to say um right there. <laughs> there it is. The crazy <laughs> part about
1: that, though, is I think a certain level of ums is okay Um because mm-hmm. it's part of normal conversation. One of the, my favorite podcasts is a podcast called Stuff You Should Know. I just love oh, sure. like random uh information and facts and stuff like that. And if you really listen closely, both those guys say um and ah a lot. So I think as long as... You're not going like, um, or, you know, whatever. It's fine.
0: I think on my side, it's more of the frequency of it in a sentence. But if you, if you actually put some thought towards it and just pause instead of the, um, it ends up coming off better. But yeah, yeah, it's, it's one of those things it's worse because when I edit it, I have to listen to it. And I'm just like, Oh my God.
1: That's why I can't listen to a whole podcast episode when I'm, when I'm editing it. I I just, I mark down where I need to actually do an edit and then I just
0: send it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So tell me about peelable paint. Cause I don't know. I know very little about the auto body world and, and paint and all that stuff. Is that, Like all the kids talk about wrapping their car. Is that the same thing?
1: So peelable paint as an industry has only been around for about eight, nine ish years, something like that. So it's relatively new. And my business partner, Justin Pollington woods, he's a UK lives in the UK, works in the UK, all of that. He was actually pretty much the first person in the entire world to buy peelable paint and install it and install it regularly. So he's been at this for a while. And the problem that peelable paint solves is vinyl wraps up until like really, really recently, like in the last year to two years, just looked like garbage on cars. They were not a replacement for a paint job. However, paint jobs cost a good one. Anyways, costs anywhere around plus right now, Mm -hmm. obviously Billy Bob in the backyard shed can give you a paint job for like two grand or whatever. But a lot of times like it's surprised, it would really surprise people that paint materials alone for a paint job, just the paint can cost like a thousand to $2,000. And that's just the paint. That's not including Uh. tape. That's not including paper. That's not including booth time. I mean, that's not including any of that stuff. So Painting a car is extremely expensive because of all the mm-hmm. prep and everything involved in it. So obviously, um, vinyl is a great alternative because you just have the vinyl that you have to put on the car. Um, the So that's one problem. The way that peelable paint fixes that, really both of those issues, is that peelable paint goes over the top of your OEM paint. So you do not mm. scuff, you do not... You do not touch the OEM paint at all. You don't even need to polish it, really. All you need to do is you need to get off any silicones, any waxes, any ceramic coatings, anything like that off of the surface, and then into the booth it can go. And then you apply paint that's peelable over the top of the OEM, and you can make it in any color you want to. And because you're spraying it and uh, because you're actually mixing the paint right there, It looks and feels exactly like real paint. You can sand it. You can polish it. You can ceramic coat it. You can do whatever you want to it. It acts just like peelable paint. But until recently with Clarity Coat, and yes, I'm going to plug it, um, (laughs) part of the name Clarity is because our product is one of, if not the first peelable paint that you could actually apply clear as well. So peelable paints before the problem that they were running into is that they would be either slightly gray or slightly yellow because of the UV inhibitors that are um, in them or the base coat or whatever. There's a bunch of different reasons, but um, so obviously you wouldn't want to use it in a clear application. Clarity coat uses really top shelf um, grade chemicals and stuff in it so that you can actually, it's perfectly optically clear. So when you apply it, to the surface of a, of a car, it can take the replacement of paint protection film as well, or PPF as, as we call it. And it's just as thick as PPF. You can build it thicker than PPF, but the advantages it has over PPF is that up until recently, same exact problem with PPF. It did not look good. It had orange peel. It had texture. Um, the UV in it was not good. If you were in a high UV environment it didn't last it would only last and still to this day they have much better uv inhibitors in them now but even to this day like if you're in florida or if you're in arizona and you've got a white car with half the hood done with ppf even top shelf um ppf it's still going to turn yellow it might be a very light yellow but it's still going to turn yellow and the reason for that is they can't use automotive grade uv inhibitors in there yet i'm sure they'll probably figure it out at some point Um, Mm -hmm. but the reason why we concentrate and the auto body people, um, or the auto body industry are, our main focus is obviously because you're painting it like a car, you have to have that skill set. You also need a paint booth, but Mm -hmm. more importantly, and some, one of the things that I found fascinating is the auto body industry is in trouble. It's got a serious problem. And that problem comes down to insurance companies. Mm. And what has happened over the last couple of decades is that 90 plus percent of all auto body shops out there 100% rely on insurance companies to bring them work. They are fed from insurance companies. DRP or not. And DRP stands for. um, Oh, shoot. Uh,
0: I can't help you. <laughs> I know. Um,
1: I don't. I don't remember what the uh, official definition is. I'm blanking because I'm under pressure. <laughs> but um, basically, the insurance company is higher is direct is di- in direct connection with that auto body shop. It is directly feeding that auto body shop work f- in exchange for a very f- favorable rate or some maybe slightly sketchy repairs. Um, oh,
0: okay um direct repair program thank you program direct repair pr- program i'm so that sorry was That was via I, google <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> i didn't want to be here like googling it at the same time <laughs> so thank you for doing that for me um and what has happened is the younger generation of body shop owners or even techs or whatever have gotten into the industry and they they look around and they're like why why do i want to sit here and depend on Uh, Well, okay. so let me let me tell you why that's a bad thing. So what happens is when you get a car repaired from Mm -hmm. an auto body uh, facility, the insurance company is sitting there and actively fighting them on every single line item. And they just basically go to war with the insurance company on every single repair, every single one of them. And then what happens and you should be pretty familiar with this because of the. Uh, mechanic industry that you're in Mm -hmm. if they the auto body industry has book time repair just like you know the uh mechanic industry does as well so if a job says that's supposed to take 10 hours and the shop consistently does it in eight and the insurance company finds out that they do it in eight they just change Mm -hmm. the book time to six or eight or whatever and then say yeah now you're going to get paid for it this amount of time and then oh. it just, it, it creates this entire culture of trying to shortcut things as much as possible so that you can turn as much work as possible to, so that you're actually successful. Well, so huh. what, well, and these guys are getting paid. The, the uh, we talked about this on when you came on my podcast, the, the shop rate that they're charging is like 50, 60, $70 oh. an hour. Ridiculous. Like, They should be at easy $90 to $100 labor hours. Um, So what happens is these younger guys get in the industry owning a shop or whatever, and they look around, they're like, oh, I don't want to depend on the insurance companies for my work. Like, why would I want to go through that again? So they start to look for other avenues for revenue for their shop. Most auto body shops already do some form of detailing. I wouldn't call it great detailing, but they do some form of detailing. So they can grow that program out. But it's very difficult for an auto-body shop that's used to doing collision repair to get into custom painting. Um, you might think mm-hmm. it's easy, but it's not it's not that easy. Or restoration work because you have to find people that are willing to plop down twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars on a resto. It's not right. it's not that easy to find.
0: And it's not gonna be regular either.
1: Right. Um you've gotta have some pretty good salesman skills in order to to do that. So that brings its own challenges now. The they could go down the route of doing vinyl wrap installs, PPF installs, window tint installs. But here's where a unique challenge lies with going down. We'll just go vinyl wrap, PPF. You are now doing a service that is completely outside of your skill set. Those no, nobody in that shop knows how to do any of that. Mm-hmm. So you only have two options either one, you train somebody in your shop. Um, who has no knowledge on how to do that to go and do that. You have to pay thousands of dollars for training, which is fine. But the real kicker is that vinyl wrapping and PPF take roughly about a year to get really proficient at it to where you're not, where you can actually start to make good money at it. You're going to waste a ton of material. You're going to waste a ton of time. You're not going to be efficient at it. You're going to possibly damage customers' cars, blah, blah, blah. But on top of that, or or you hire someone who knows what they're doing, you outsource the work or whatever, except you don't make a lot of money that way because those guys know what they're worth. So either you hire them on salary and they're going to want 80K mm-hmm. a year because they know what they're doing, or you commission it out, in which case you're only going to make a couple hundred dollars on an install. So they look at it, they're like, "What the what the hell's the point? Like, why would I go through all this? um but yeah. with the person that has no knowledge and then they train them up and got them going the number one thing that body shop owners have told me is that those guys go and start their own shops then after 3 years so they have to start the whole process over again because PPF and vinyl are extremely cheap businesses to get into it's a very low barrier entry um field to get into a roll of PPF and a roll of vinyl do not cost that much money to get it um, to get into. So all you have to do is save up enough money to buy a single roll. And then mm-hmm. first and last month's shop rent file the LLC. And they're like, I'm in business. I got a business now, <laughs> now whether or not they're successful is totally separate. Right? So now what Clarityco does is it gives them an option to offer a color, a, a, a customer grade color change. For cheaper than a paint job, and you keep the same exact skill set, pretty much the same tools. There's two specialty guns that we want them to buy, um, and now you can offer clear protection or color changes. Okay, so hopefully that answers your question.
0: Yeah, well, I got a number of things off of that. I was curious. I was just thinking about as you're going through it, the, in the whole insurance thing. From what I remember as being a technician, that reminds me a lot of the extended warranty or the third-party warranties Mm -hmm. that we would deal with. And we would actively avoid those for exactly the same reason that you were talking about. They're trying to nitpick every little thing and they want to bump down the labor time or they're only going to pay you know, 75% of what our labor rate is. And, oh, can you get this part used? And it was just – it wasted so much time and was not – you know, profitable. Now, um, I imagine
1: that's, it, that's the only thing your shop does.
0: Yeah. That's gotta be, that's gotta be just, just awful. Uh, I've never worked as a body technician. We have a, a body program at the college that I teach at and I get to hear a few things through there. And when you were saying painting is expensive, I do know quite a bit about that because we, we have budgets for our programs at college and, and ours is pretty expensive too for the repair program. Cause students break a lot of stuff. Yep. And so we go through a lot of, uh, parts, but the body shop, um, running the paint booth and the primer booth and stuff. Um, it's, it, yeah, you're not kidding. It's expensive for them to do that. Um, uh, it's, it's only getting worse right now mm-hmm. <laughs> as prices, everything goes up, but yeah, that would be very frustrating to have to deal with on a daily basis, fighting uh-huh. to get your, you know, the labor time. Or they're changing labor times on you and stuff like that. Um, And I think I've also heard this. So I do some mobile stuff, right? And so I don't service a whole lot of body shops, maybe one or two. I'll do a little bit of programming for. But I know some other guys that will do body work, quite a bit of it. And I was talking to one guy, and he was – I didn't 100% agree with what he was doing, but – he said because the insurance was going to be paying for it, he was, like, tripling his charge mm-hmm. of what he normally charges. like, well, the insurance is going to pay for it. I'm like, well, I mean, you know, somebody's got to pay for that down the line. And um, then they went into a whole thing about, haven't you ever been screwed over by an insurance company? And I, I don't know. I, I, it just doesn't sit right with me. It's like, no, I mean, it's okay to steal from Walmart because it's a big company. Well, it's still not right to do that. That's, so <laughs> Straight up, that's theft. Like, straight Yeah, up. yeah. So,
1: the this actually was a little bit of a problem in the detailing industry with ceramic coatings. So customer wouldn't get into an accident. Obviously the panels get repainted and everything like that. Ceramic coating has to be reapplied to those panels. And I, I figured out a fair rate and I just charged by panel for, to reapply the ceramic coating insurance company would pay me, blah, blah, blah. But we had, when I worked for, the company that I used to work for, which made a ceramic coating, we would hear about detailers that were charging like $500 a panel to reapply ceramic coating. And when we found that out, we would just instantaneously kick them out of the program. And when they would say, well, what, what, like, what do you, wh- why? And we're like, because you're, that's, that's fraud. Like that's straight mm-hmm. up. That's fraud. Like, I yeah. don't care if you think, and they, you know, they would use that argument. Oh, well, you've never been messed over by insurance. company listen if you got a problem with that hit up your congressman we are not going to be a part of that like (laughs) yeah at at all so
0: well and and then i think it comes full circle to why do you think they're being so stingy on everything and double checking everything probably because there has been a lot of that there is a lot of that that goes on out there so yeah but um yeah i'm glad the automotive world i you have to deal with that too often as uh, was, usually was direct to the customer. There's actually
1: something um, that you had brought up that I was going to relay that back, um, but I don't remember what it was now. But you made a really great point earlier. Maybe if I think about it, I'll I'll bring it up. But,
0: sure. Sure.
1: Um, yeah. Did, did, you, did you have any more questions about like clarity coat, peelable paint or anything like that? I don't want to leave behind. Uh,
0: the actual peeling part, like when you say that. Is that when you want to do another paint job? It's you want to change something. Do you literally see, I know nothing about this. <laughs> like, are you literally peeling it off? Is that just a term or what's nope. going on there?
1: You are, all you do is, so obviously the edge of a panel, we want, we wrap or spray around the edge of that panel. Right. So okay. the underside of the hood. So, um, if you don't mind me saying this, um, we have a video that actually demonstrate this demonstrates this really really well and really really uh-huh. satisfying and will give a very good idea of the whole peelable paint process. Um, if you don't mind putting that in the show notes and then people can watch sure. the YouTube video, then I'll send it over to you. But okay. the so all you do is you take an edge and then you do a relief cut or you take. Something and really heat up the surface and then it makes it so it's really gummy. And then you start picking away at it so that you can catch an edge, right. Of the, of Mm -hmm. the peelable product, not the OEM paint. And then all you do is you just literally peel it. And it's really difficult for me to even relate to what that sensation is like (laughs) because it's totally unique, but it's okay. But to give you an idea, you can, you can peel an entire side of the car. We have a video of like what our Middle Eastern distributor with a Rolls, uh Rolls Royce Cullinan, I think is what it was. It is that the big old SUV. Um, I think it is. No, I, I don't know. Um, I, I believe that's the SUV did like an entire side of a Cullinan in like 30 seconds. Wow. He had all <laughs> the relief edges, um, ready to go, but literally would just sh- Put peel it off so, like, big flat panels you can do in no time whatsoever, like, zero time. Edges are a little trickier, um, but we're uh, we're working on developing methods to make the edges a little bit easier to do. But yeah, so the reason why you would peel it is for a couple of different reasons. One, it gets damaged because just like mm-hmm. anything else out there, the products get damaged, but uh, So that's number one. Number two, you want to change the color of the car. Is it cheap to do that? Debatable. But there is some of these car guys out there that literally don't give a shit about what it costs. Like
0: (laughs) enthusiasts,
1: Tesla, Tesla people. Oh, my Lord. They will spend (laughs) so much money to customize their Tesla to however they want. Um, Uh But more importantly, uh, well, actually, and then number three, um, resale. And this is actually another really interesting point for customers. So you might be thinking to yourself, well, why? So let's say that a vinyl wrap is gonna cost you five grand um, on, for a full wrap. Now, you might be, let's say the Clarity Coat costs you eight, nine, something like that. You might think to yourself, why in the world would I ever do something like this? Well, the video that I'm gonna send you, and it's in, that's in the show notes, this is actually a great example as to why you would do that. This video shows a, uh, a Porsche GT3 RS. And when you see it initially, it's wrapped in clarity coat. You see Justin peel clarity coat off the hood, and then we're going and doing a different design on it, whatever. So what you will see is that the Porsche is this purple color from Porsche. Now this purple color is very divisive. There's people that love it in the Porsche community. There's people that hate it in the Porsche community. And okay. so now imagine the situation that you're a dealership or you're a customer and the only GT3 RS within a 300 mile radius is this purple Porsche sitting on the dealership for $150,000. You drive the car and you don't want to know what the number one determining factor of buying a car is? Color.
0: Imagine it's the color. It's color.
1: <laughs> Buy a long shot. So you test drive the car and you're like, love the car. It's amazing. Hate the fucking color. Can't do it. So if you have clarity coat, what you do is you change the color of the car to whatever you want. But then when mm. you go to turn it back in, you want it to be back to OEM. So you peel it off, get it back to, its, to where it looks OEM. You turn it in. Nobody knows any different at all.
0: Interesting. I would imagine it probably acts as like some sort of protectant. Yes. for the paint underneath too.
1: Yes. So PPF is, on average, unless you're buying specialty PPF, is about eight mils thick. Our basic application, without adding anything on top of it or doing anything special, is eight mils. And
0: the piece. What's that, that gets... unit of
1: measurement? Mils. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, it's not. Yes, it is. It's it's eight mils thick.
0: Um, but what I'm just, I'm not familiar. You're not like millimeters, right?
1: Um, no. Um, I forget what the actual unit of measurement is, but it's also, so you can measure in microns too. So, um, clarity code as a base application is like in and around 300 microns, but you don't really measure PPF in microns. Like you measure paint in microns. So we try to compare it that way. Um, Okay.
0: but I'm learning so much.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but, like the piece that we peel off the Porsche was like way thicker than that. And you would never know the difference. Like there's no visual difference as far as like clarity or anything like that in how thick it is, but it protects much better against road debris and everything like that. Because when you have a thicker surface, it just protects better.
0: Gotcha. That's interesting. Um, I uh, was never very good in the auto body side of things, I when I went through my high school program for autos, they did you know the whole gambit, and one of the projects was you had to make a fender, and they gave you a piece of sheet metal, and you had to kind of shape it like a fender, and then the instructor would hit it with a hammer and dent it and scratch it, and then you had to kind of do some bondo and primer and paint, and that was about as much body work as I ever did, because I think I got a C- RC minus on that project just because I don't know I don't have that artistic side to me, but the the mechanical and the electrical side always drew me in. But there's a, there's a right place for everybody in this industry, right? That's the cool thing is it's so so massive and so many different paths. And I tell the students that come through my program too, like, hey, maybe you find out this technician thing isn't right for you, but if there's an auto body program down the hall. You know, you you could take that, and then there's so many other different routes, and it seems to just be expanding as time goes on with ADOS and there's a whole world for keys and there's a whole world for programming and repair. And uh, it's, it's really cool to hear from the different aspects of the industry though.
1: Yes. Yes, it is. And to be clear, I don't know if I have enough patience for that either. Like if I had to spend more than eight hours detailing a car, I was usually pretty grumpy. So (laughs) I I just, it's just not my thing. (laughs)
0: So you how long did you work as a d- detailer for? Uh,
1: I started my detailing business in 2015. I mean, if you want to get real technical, I started as, in high school just to earn some like summer cash you mm. know, type of thing. Um, but for real, I started in 2015 doing mobile detailing in South Dakota. And mm. uh, I did that all the way up until 2018, halfway through 2018 went from mobile detailing just by myself solo guy to a uh, 3000 square foot shop four full-time employees. We were rocking and rolling. Um, and then I sold that to go work for a manufacturer who made detailing chemicals. So, and I worked there for about a year and then we started clarity coat.
0: Gotcha. Interesting.
1: Because I, I found out that I can't work for other people. Like, uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, I have not I, for I, that. I t- <laughs>
0: I can 100% relate to that. <laughs> um, it's it's nice at the school. I will say that because as long as we're accredited by ASE, which we are, and we just got our auto body program also accredited just like a few weeks ago.
1: Nice.
0: Um, they kind of just leave us alone. Um, there's other programs that aren't. They don't have any sort of accrediting body. And so the school has to kind of check in on them like, hey, what are you teaching these kids? And, um, but we don't have to worry about that as long as ASE says, gives us the thumbs up every two and a half years. Um, they kind of just let us do our thing Nice. and I, I really, really enjoy that. Um, it's a lot of work. Um, and you gotta, it's not like I can just slack off by any means, but I'm kind of just in charge of myself and and hitting goals and doing things. And then I do my mobile thing too. And it's the... (laughs) the happiest I've ever been as a technician role is just working for myself. And yes, I have customers, you kind of working for them, but yep. I'm calling the shots. Like if I don't want to take that job, I don't have to, if I want to push it to Friday. Okay. I'll, hey, I can't get to it till Friday. Um, do you know try I just to want do... say no to something?
1: Oh, sorry. Sorry to interrupt.
0: Oh no, you're good.
1: Do you try to do like somewhat quick jobs, like alternator replacements, starter replacements, um, stuff like that or do you do like pretty intense jobs like head gasket replacements and everything like that too
0: so i only do the diagnostic side of things oh. and and programming so sh- i'll go into shops and they replace the control module and i'll program it to the vehicle or like for instance today there was a uh, misfire on an engine that they had just put a timing chain in and they couldn't figure out what the misfire was from so they called me to diagnose it for them and the fantastic part about that is that I don't have to fix anything. I just tell them, here's the part you put on or here's the thing you replace God, or here. I fixed it with a programming." Awesome. And I, yeah, cause I did the repair thing you know, for my whole career as a technician from old, was I 18 to about 32 or so? I think I stopped doing work with Firestone. And I mean, I, I did, I loved it as, as a younger Person getting into the field, I was like, "This is the best! I get to, you know, work on vehicles all day, listen to rock music, the bay doors are open, this is fantastic." But you know, along the way, working for other people and getting treated like a number and the flat rate grind, kind of like you were talking about with the auto body world, where it's you're just every week you're trying to hit those numbers, trying to make as much as you can, and it it definitely wore on me. And at this point in my life. I have zero interest in doing repair. I put off repair on my own vehicles because I was just like, I don't, I don't want to do it anymore. Yeah. And it, it's sad in a way because it really was a passionate thing for me when I was younger, but I guess it's just sort of shifted. I'm still in the same realm. Obviously, I'm podcasting about it. Um, but the diagnostic side of things has really taken over for me as far as my passion.
1: And, and I mean, if you're good at diagnostics, man, like, I mean, you got it made. <laughs> so uh, we had talked on my podcast that you know I, do, I used to be a diesel tech or whatever. And what's mm-hmm. interesting about the diesel world and heavy—I should—I should, I should clarify—heavy diesel, so like semis, equipment, tractors, stuff like that—was that the automotive part of the world had emissions and stuff like that that they had to meet and figure out and all of that what late 80s or early 80s um they were starting to use computers and everything like that the heavy diesel world never used a computer for anything up until well i shouldn't say anything very rarely would or they would be super simple computers up until uh 2010 ish something like that So what happened was you had everything that the auto guys had to learn uh, from, like, 80s up until then. And we had to learn it in, like, just a couple of years. So they were slapping modules on everything. We very quickly went from OBD2 to CAN bus and then, like, emissions and all this other kind of stuff. And I immediately saw at that point, I was like, man, if I can figure out, like, the diagnostics part of this stuff, like the electrical and everything like that. I don't need to turn a wrench ever again. Like all I have to do is just hook up my computer, have a really good multimeter with some leads and boom, I'm in business. But I didn't, I obviously didn't stay in it long enough to have, see that dream to fruition.
0: Yeah. There is such a need for it right now. And it's only going to get more. I see some of the newer vehicles occasionally like a, you know, 18, 19, 20 vehicle. And you know the stuff that you've got to be up on to fix a lot of the problems that are coming with those systems again the ADAS stuff and that's going to be you know obviously embedded into the auto body world too mm-hmm. with the self-driving features of cars and um you're going to have to have some people that want to do this and are good at it and they're going to be sought after so my portion of the automotive program that I teach, we do have kind of a heavier focus on that is the critical thinking and really understanding how something works. Like let's really dive into that code enable criteria and description and description operation and um, try to really wrap our heads around this stuff. So hopefully they at least aren't completely blindsided by these cars that have problems when they get out there. I I like to share my case studies too, that I'll do mobily is here's here. I just left this shop, this professional shop where these guys are not hacks by any means. Mm -hmm. They're just limited for whatever reason. And this problem was a roadblock for them. It was an obstacle that they spent two days on and couldn't figure out. Here's how it is solved. Not that they're stupid, not that you know, I'm I'm not like down talking anyone, but I'm like here's how you avoid this because it's not magic. I'm not some super genius. I've just taken the time to understand how this stuff works, understand my tests, and and you can do this too. And so hopefully that gets across to at least a few of them, and they can be successful with it.
1: Real quick story, um, sure on kind of that, but thinking through something critical. Especially when other people have tried to diagnose a particular problem. Um, my recommendation on that is what's going to happen is if you have people in your shop that have a problem and they haven't been able to solve it, they're going to try and tell you, like, oh, I've already done this and I've already worked through this or whatever. Shut up. I don't want to hear anything <laughs> about what you did. I don't want to hear any of that. You want to go into it with absolutely fresh eyes because if you're relying on, information from the guy who couldn't solve it, well, then it's it's not that it's flawed or it's not that he's in error, but you want to have fresh eyes on it. Case in point, I started at a brand new uh, semi shop. And one of my very first projects was this commercial, it was a government utility semi. So in the trucking world, a lot of times what happens is they will buy a frame from like Freightliner, International, whatever. And then you have a third party that then drops on the specific kind of like truck that um, that you need. So like a boom truck uh, or, you know, whatever, w- whatever the use case is. Uh, I'm not going to run through all the different use cases because I don't want mm-hmm. this story to be 10 minutes long. But the problem that they were having was that when they would drive down the road, they w- you would get a vibration um, and a really bad one from a certain uh, mile per hour up. And it's got some big, meaty, uh, off-road tires on it and everything like that. So first, first thing that, I and it's been through every tech in the shop. First thing mm-hmm. I do is like rotate, um, the tires around on different spots to see if the vibration moves. Right. I end up spending tens of hours on this thing, if not over a hundred hours on it. And oh. what I ended up figuring out was, so on a truck, What normally happens is you have your transmission and then you have your drive shaft. Normally you have a carrier bearing, which goes into another drive shaft with, which then goes into your first axle. And then that axle goes out to the second axle. Right? So you, you have like three drive shafts. However, this had six wheel drive. So you had the transmission. So the drive shaft would go into a transfer case and then you'd have another two drive shafts that go forward into the axle. And then you had the same amount of drive shafts going back. What it ended up okay. being, uh, cause I also tested like U joints and everything like that, right? Like put new U joints in to see if that was a problem. What it ended up being was the phase angles of the drive shafts. Okay. Which is almost, it just uh, never happens in the semi world right. because like normally it's the OEM that just slaps
0: the uh-huh. truck
1: on the frame and everything like that. And it was only off by a couple of degrees. But I think the way that I tested the theory was if I remember right, I either shaved off metal or put in a shitload of washers to okay. greatly change the pitch of the drive shaft oh, angles. All right. And ended up, I didn't fix it, but I ended up figuring out that was what the problem was. And the whole time, the whole time, I had the old boys in the shop walk over and they're like, you're you're looking at this wrong. Like, I've already been through this. Like, you don't know. <laughs> Thanks, Jim. Go over back over to your corner, okay? Like, yeah, you yeah. couldn't figure it out. I'm stuck with it. Like, I need to figure it out. So taking your time and working through those, here's the most likely problem. Occam's razor, right? The most obvious problem is probably the one that it, that it is. But sometimes you get these just weird, oddball, freaking things that come out of left field that mm-hmm. it's just it's just a one-off. And then you always remember yep. those jobs because, <laughs> I mean, you spent so oh. much time and it was so unique, but yeah, always yeah. start off with the most simple stuff.
0: Exactly. I would say 90% of the stuff that I get called to for, again, professional repair shops is simple, simple stuff, maybe acting in a strange way, or I don't know, hit it in some fashion, but most of it's broken wires, um, a lot of mechanical engine problems. I don't know why, I don't know why, but that seems to really burn technicians a lot. Um, you'll have really? like, so you'll,
1: would you mind giving an example? I'm just curious. Yeah.
0: Okay. So the, the one that I was at today, the one I was saying, they put a timing chain in this vehicle. Yep and it ran just like garbage. They identified that the front three cylinders were misfiring. That's that's what they told me, but they do the usual, here, let's put some plugs and coils at it. Oh, it's not fixing it. We don't think the timing's off because we do these engines all the time, and I believe them. They're very good at parts replacement. So I hook up to it, and I double-check the cam timing. It's right on the money, but it is counting up misfires on one side of the engine. And so here's what I do. Anytime I have a misfire, Anytime I have a misfire, and I encourage anybody to do this that's listening to this too, just uh, clear, clear flood the engine, which means hold the accelerator down so that it won't start. And that doesn't work on every car, but on domestic stuff, it does. If that doesn't, then disable it from starting some, or from actually starting, but not cranking. You want it to crank and just listen. Just listen to that thing crank, and you're going to hear when it, if there's a compression issue, you hear it at plain as day. Mm-hmm. You can hear that starter speed up when it hits the cylinder and no compression. And I'll have this identified that it's a mechanical problem within minutes of getting to the car. If, if that's what it is. And, you know, I'm just cranking and it goes, and the techs are kind of looking at me, you know, and I'm just like, yeah, it's, it's mechanical. And then you just got to figure out what cylinder, but the reason it was multiple misfires was a lot of these engines When it's a mechanical misfire – and you can tell me to shut up if you're like – No, no, no. I'm I'm, I'm interested. I was Because I'm sitting here thinking,
1: is it the cam phasers or something like that? Right,
0: right. No, that's what I thought. I thought maybe they had a bad phaser or something, but the timing was right on the money. But when you have these engines that run off of uh, a speed density system, and even ones – I'll warn people – even ones that use a mass airflow and a map sensor can run like a speed density system – Hmm. Anyways, they're relying on the intake manifold pressure to correlate to fuel delivery. And oh, yeah, 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 So what happens with the mechanical misfires, it jacks your vacuum up in your in your manifold and then the the map sensor ends up uh delivering way or it tells the PCM to deliver way too much fuel. Oh, you get rich yeah, yeah. conditions, you get misfires and that's that's what was going on with this one it, it was missing on all the cylinders but for whatever reason it was counting higher on the front three and obviously the one that was missing but again all i do just clear flood and crank and then i just have to figure out and um i went down in to the cylinder i have this little boroscope, it's so cool so it goes into the cylinder and then you could pull on a on a lever and it flips around so you can see up towards the valves Nice. and uh one of the valves was all jacked up, but um yeah. So anyways, I guess I forgot what my, Oh, it, most of this stuff is actually pretty simple stuff like mechanical engine problems, like yeah. a, a valve that's messed up or a low compression cylinder. And so you focus on the basics and you get around most of that stuff. And then, yeah, you get, you get the weird ones and the cars are going to humble you that, that one is out there. It's waiting for you to humble you. But, um, like ground, that's
1: like ground issues, like, yeah, like yeah. some of the hardest ones to like, tr- actually like well, track down and diagnose without just intermittent saying, stuff, just, re- just replace the ground cable.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I always like when people say, did you check the grounds? Like, or, you know, or my student will say, Oh, I checked the ground. what did you do? Did you look at it? <laughs> what did it look like? Yeah. Well, how did you check it? Uh, Cause a lot of people say that and they're like, well, okay. What did you actually do? Um, but yeah, to to just get through those those basics, um, it'll get you past most of that stuff. But that real that real challenging one that's that's waiting for me. That's actually why I like doing this stuff. Yeah. Me personally, yeah. I'm wait I'm waiting for that because it keeps me interested in this.
1: Uh, just curious, did you ever check out that um, that book and the leads and everything that I sent uh, you?
0: Yeah, so. I was actually familiar with the lead itself, the load pro yep um, I didn't make the correlation when we were talking earlier but i ha- I have seen that I haven't owned one myself i just use a test light or a headlight bulb personally i I didn't check out the book yet though um what was the name of that again um I bet you I have it here somewhere yeah, i don't
1: I don't remember what it was, but um in that book he uh so Starters and battery issues are super common in Diesels mm-hmm. um in bigger diesels oh. because, because you're pulling so much amperage and you're doing it over such a long distance that any little like little hiccup in corrosion or bad grounds or whatever can really cause a lot of havoc for a truck. And obviously, This really only becomes a problem in the dead of winter when you have this 15 liter engine with 1540 (laughs) in it that you're trying to crank over in negative 20 degree weather. And um, so in that book, he has this um, starter system testing kit that he lays out. And man, that thing was awesome. You took two of these. um, I forget what they're called, but they're they're the spools of leads that you can just like spool out. Um, okay. Make bigger. And so you yeah, yeah, yeah. connect two leads to like the starter and then you would connect two sets of leads to your battery. And then you would have your leads that you put into your multimeter. And then you do a voltage drop test across your positive and your negative side. And it instantaneously uh-huh. tells you which is the problem without you having to like, um, you can just be right there with your multimeter inside the cab and like hit the starter And I know that might seem like a pretty small problem, but for on the truck side of things, when you're talking about a distance of like 12, 15 feet, like it's, it's a super annoying problem to figure out. So what ends up happening is you end up just like throwing new positive cables at it or new negative cables or new battery pack or new starter where this way I, for the first time I was the first one in the shop to actually like get a tool that you could positively say, no, it's in the positive it's in the positive uh-huh. wire and it's on this circuit. Like for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Isn't that,
0: that's the best for sure. Yeah. Um, I, I just looked up this book cause you'd sent me a link before it's yep. the name is fundamental electrical troubleshooting by Dan Sullivan. And what I'll do uh, for anybody listening that wants to check it out, I'll put this in the show notes as well. But, uh, Sponsored I remember you Amazon did send link. me this link. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> Support the show. <laughs> but man, I read that book so many times. Um, phenomenal book. Uh, but sorry to sidetrack, but, uh, I was just curious if you looked it up though. I used that load pro lead like all the freaking time it was, Mm -hmm. Mm I loved it.
0: Yeah. Fantastic idea. Um, yeah, yeah. loading loading the circuits. That's, that's what it's all about and understanding the purpose of the circuit. Um, that's, that's a huge one too, that I really try to work with my students is when you are going to begin testing on this circuit, what is its purpose? And it might be might seem very obvious, uh, but you say, well, oh, it's for a starter or, oh, it's for a throttle position sensor. OK, well, let's consider what is that? What are we demanding of that circuit? Right. Mm-hmm. Are we just looking at a voltage change because it's a CAN bus wire and we don't really care about the amperage that's going through it? Or yeah, is it for a starter and it obviously the voltage amperage go together, but the amperage is really what we need to look at as far as what's going through that. Yep. That circuit, um, and we, we're going to treat it differently. We go into testing, and yeah, that's all the. I mean, that's all the stuff that we focus on in school. But, uh, but stuff I find interesting.
1: That's so. That's such an interesting and great point to have them walk through because. Um, sensors are not smart. <laughs> They're there to mm-hmm. do one job, and that's it. And then that one job tells the computer, here's the result that I'm getting. And then the computer says, oh, shoot, here we go. Like, we got to change this. An example, you said that um, your map sensor, your math sensor was reading way too much um, air in the system. So mm-hmm. it was dumping more fuel in. Well, yep. the only thing that sensor is telling it is, hey, we got a shitload of air in here. So just start dumping fuel in. Yep. Okay. Yep. Well, if you just go in there and you say, well, just the map sensor just reads air. Okay. What is it telling the computer? <laughs> right. Like right. what is the result? If it says air is here, what's the computer then doing because of that reading? And then if you, uh-huh. if you think through that problem, man, troubleshooting. And again, like I'm not trying to sit here and act like I was some sort of troubleshooting God or anything like that. But you, you just learn some of these things after you're in the field for a little while. Um, of having to like work through some of this, you know, the thing that probably kicked my ass the most when it came to electronics Mm. and like wiring and everything like that, figuring out where the heck the actual plugs were.
0: Ah, yeah. Component location can be an absolute bear if, uh, if service info is weak and I don't know what it's like in the diesel world. So,
1: well. I mean, so you're looking at a diagram, right? And it's just like, oh, Mm -hmm. yeah, just trace these wires. And then this is where the plug (laughs) is. And it's like, okay, (laughs) yeah, I've got a a 30-foot-long truck here. Like, where is it? (laughs) And so they Uh expect you to just, like, pull the wire out of the loom and then just, like, trace it. Well, yep, doesn't really work like that.
0: Um, Students have a big disconnect with that as well because we'll do a lot of stuff on paper on a diagram. And this 2-inch wire in real life is 4 feet underneath the carpet and all this stuff so they'll be like we'll do some i do a diagnostic challenge here's a diagram let's and i'll I'll have an imaginary problem with the system tell them what it is and they have to do tests on the diagram one by one until they get to the solution and this is just a practice to get us ready for the shop and so they'll say i want to test right here at this splice and i'm like okay we can do this but let's be aware when we're out on the car this might be like in the middle of a harness that's got 200 wires in it underneath the yeah, <laughs> driver's seat under Jimmy? the carpet <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly <Have> <laughs> <laughs> so so bear in mind it's it's not quite the exact same when you're you're actually on the vehicle but that's yeah that's the, you got to do the practical application too
1: yeah i just do you ever like think to yourself like or wish that the engineers would just be like Here's the plug located at like under mm-hmm. cab, under floorboard, or whatever.
0: I will say in recent years, it's been getting a lot better, especially for Asian and domestic stuff, Euro stuff. It's kind of going well, it never on breaks, so
1: why would you ever have to repair it?
0: <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> I, I own it, I own an Audi S5, so oh, all obviously, right, all right. sarcasm. <laughs> I got you. I gotcha. <laughs> um, uh, but they have gotten so much better in some of these newer diagrams. Um, what were we working We were working on a, a 2020 in the shop, one of the students brought it in. And we were looking at the diagrams for it. I'm like, these are like 3D colored, like really, really nice To if you're trying to find something on the vehicle. Where if you go back to like, you know, the 98s that I was working on as a tech and it's this – redrawn diagram like it's drawn by someone and there's no reference point to what part of the car you're looking at it's just like a bunch of lines and parts i'm like is this in the trunk or am i under the hood what am i looking at here you
1: know you know where they got those diagrams from don't you where's that see ford and gm they 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 ran out of budget for the engineers and so what they did was <laughs> they're like hey listen grab your five-year-old child give them some crayons and then like have them have them just draw this out that's how they got the diagrams We'll
0: we'll bring them out under the hood here little jimmy draw the alternator here oh it's a
1: circle and and then it has like little sparks and thunderbolts coming out. (laughs) (laughs) and you're just supposed to know that's the alternator right (laughs) um yeah man like that's a very honorable career and job that you're doing that's um It's, it's, it's really good because we need more service-based businesses uh, or I'm sorry, we need more people in service-based businesses. Um, Yes. I am a huge advocate for the service-based, um, businesses like, so personally, I get very annoyed talking to people who want to start businesses because they usually want to start tech businesses. Mm -hmm. And I look at them and I say, why don't you tell me 10 tech companies that are actually profitable, that actually profitable? They can't name more than five. It doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. Most tech companies are running in the not that they're running in the red, but they're not profitable. And then they've got 100 investors that and I understand the whole idea behind it and everything like that. But. In order to start a successful tech company, you need funding. And f- and for me, I'm like, I don't know. I can spend a 100 bucks, go get car detailing supplies, and make a couple hundred dollars on a weekend. Yes, I'm the one having to do the work. But I'm also, I don't have to answer to anybody. And in fact, I actually want to do, I'm going to do this at some point. I want to do a YouTube series where I have to detail my way back home. I have a oh, hundred bucks that's cool. I have a hundred bucks in my name. I get dropped off in Washington, DC. <laughs> I go to the Walmart and I pick up a hundred dollars worth of supplies. And I I I literally wash and detail cars until I save up enough cash to get to Nashville. And then in Nashville I have to do the same exact okay. thing. I want to do that. And then I want to get dropped off in Europe and do the same exact thing. And then in Asia, oh. same exact thing.
0: That's that is a heck of an idea. Cause you could do the same thing for like diagnosis, yeah. of problems too. You could just yeah, that, take my little Ford Transit Connect out <laughs> and try to get back home solely on diagnosis. Uh, you but know, I you get the summers like off from teaching. And you so. can't
1: have a like a uh, you can't have like a nice looking vehicle either.
0: Like you gotta. Oh my my Transit Connect is ugly as hell, so no <laughs> worries there.
1: <laughs> and and we'll add a little bit more of a challenge to yours. You can't use your own diagnostic equipment. You've got to be like, hey Ooh. man, like. You got you, okay. what do you got back there. Like I'll I'll figure uh, it out with uh. just this stuff.
0: Okay. All right. That's all that's hey if if we can uh
1: <laughs> I mean, I'm not using my Rupes polishers or my flex polishers or anything. I have to go to Walmart and get my
0: oh, my detailing supplies. I gotcha. you. So, I, you know what? I could do it. I could probably do a lot of stuff if I had access to like a Harbor Freight or something, maybe something oh, yeah. like that. <laughs> Your only
1: multimeter you can have is like the analog like um, needle one.
0: <laughs> sure, sure. Well, I hey, I could do a heck of a lot with a test light. I know that for sure. But yeah, that would be that would be pretty interesting to do. I always thought it would be cool to you know they have a documentary of just about everything on Netflix yeah. now or whatever streaming service. But Netflix has a lot of them. I thought it would be really interesting to go around with some of these other guys that do the mobile uh, diagnosis. And just you know, follow around the the guys who are like real pioneers and, and greats at it, and just watch them do their their magic. To you know, like uh, I don't know if you know who Keith DeFazio is you know bust out twenty cars in a day uh, on Staten Island. I think that would be a pretty interesting series if somebody were to patch it all together from a series of those guys doing their thing. The the only thing that
1: I would be hesitant on that. Would be that anytime you make something really popular like that or whatever, what happens is you get the average Joe that's like, I know, like, uh Scanner Danner did this in like five minutes. Like, this is a no big deal. This is actually what the problem is. Blah, blah, blah. Like, telling the tech for sure. to do it. And I have a – uh that kind of, like, hits close to home for me because currently – In the detailing world, there's two very popular kinds of, like, detailing videos that are out there. There's the restoration slash, um, this car has been stuck in a barn and has been infested with rats for the last 20 years, but we're going to detail it back to brand new. And then there's, like, the super high-end, like, we're going to spend 68 hours polishing and ceramic coating the car and blah, blah, blah. So what was interesting was I had a call from a customer this last weekend and they wanted a full interior. Um, so carpet shampooing, clean the whole interior, blah, blah, blah. And they go, yeah, you're going to remove all the seats and everything, right? I said, no. Like, why would I do that? And there, I was like, do you have something under your seat that needs to be clean? They're like, well, no, but that's what all the detailers on TikTok do. And I'm like, that's good I'm glad that's what the detailers. are. do you want them to detail your car like and so you get these you get these detailers that show these restoration jobs from like these horrendously pitted out vehicles and Mm -hmm. people think that's reality it's not reality if I have one of those vehicles run my shop one of two situations is going to come out either I'm going to charge you a boatload of money for it or number two more than likely I'm going to send you down the road because mm-hmm. one, I don't want to detail something like that. Two, it's not going to turn out like what you think it's going to turn out. And three, I'm not removing seats out of a car. Not happening. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. don't want to mess with airbags. Don't want to mess with one time use bolts. I don't want to mess with any of that. Like, mm-hmm. or torquing too. I mean, obviously, torquing's not that big of a deal, but I don't want to mess with it. So,
0: yep. Yep. That whole YouTube thing is, um, it, it definitely affects repair shops too, because people watch it and say, Hey, I saw this video. This guy did this in, yeah, X amount of time and you're charging me four hours. What the heck? Um, or maybe a really, really advanced process or tool. Somebody makes a video about it. And then all of a sudden everybody's doing that. And so the amount that you can charge to do that thing is now much lower than it was because it's, it's the information is just out there. And I, I think YouTube is so great for so many things, but it's definitely had some. Negative impacts as well.
1: And I I mean, I don't disagree. And I'm sorry if we're running you super long on this. Um, I'm good. uh, I agree with that to a point. But here's where I think some guys, detailers included, maybe even mechanics. Here's, I think, what they need to remember. There's a fundamental rule about people. And that is that they are lazy. Super lazy. Mm -hmm. With mechanics, guess what? They don't have the tools to do your job. If they think that they can, well, I mean, you can go to Harbor Freight and do your job. Guess what? At the end of that job, they're 100% going to be thinking to themselves, F that. I'm never doing that again. And that's what I, I actually built my detailing business based off of this. I would do blog articles. I would do you, not YouTube videos. I would do Facebook videos. I would do lives showing people how to detail a car Mm -hmm. because I knew that they were too lazy to spend their Saturday for four hours cleaning a car, and I also knew that the minute that they waxed their car with hand wax, they were like, "F this! Like, <laughs> I want to do. Why would I ever do this uh-huh. ever? Yep. Uh, Two hundred yep. bucks to have you do it? Yeah, I'll just have you do it." So people are lazy; they don't have the tools, and it's just as simple as, "Oh, you saw it on YouTube? Cool, go do it." Like, uh-huh. see you later. Uh-huh. Don't want to mess with you. Exactly. Pedro said that he can do it for 50 bucks. Awesome. Have Pedro do it. And then when the vehicle's broke, bring it back to me. Um, yep. On that note, it's super quick story. Again, sorry to no, extend the podcast, but had a customer come to me one time, wanted a coat for a polish um, on their car. And they're like, yeah, the paint's like, it's really dull. Like, I'm not really sure what's wrong with it. So I was thinking it was clear coat failure because it was the year vehicle that was prone to that so I told him oh why don't you bring it in I'll just take a look at it they bring the vehicle in (laughs) and they took scotch bright (laughs) to the entire car
0: oh no and
1: I'm looking at this and I'm trying as hard as I possibly can to not just bust out laughing and He's like, yeah, you know, she, my girlfriend, she just had a ton of bugs on her car and I wanted to get it all cleaned up for us before she got back. So I, I took a, I took the green side of the, no, actually oh, no. he tried to convince me that he took the sponge side of the, of it and wash it. And I looked at him and was like, listen, wh- like, let's get this very clear right now. I know exactly which side of that sponge you used <laughs> because that's the other side that you're saying does not cause this stuff. So let's get this very clear. So then he's like, well, you know, can I get a quote? And I said, nope. No, you cannot. And he's like, well, what do you mean? I was like, because the amount that I'm going to charge you, one, you can't pay it. Like, not that you can't afford it, but like, you're not going to pay for it. Um, and number two, I'm not going to touch this job. I have no idea because clear coat, what people forget is very, very, very thin. On average, clear coat, um, up until very recently, which it's gotten thinner, is actually only the thickness of three post-it notes. That's how thick your whole clear coat layer is. So when you want someone to spend like for any of you guys thinking that you can go out there and sand your car and polish it and like do that like twice a year. Yeah, go for it. Do that. (laughs) Do that. (laughs) And then in seven years, when your paint looks like absolute garbage because it's faded, because you took away all the UV inhibitors, which is the whole point of clear coat in the first <laughs> place. Like, I mean, you're old. You're probably old enough to remember single stage paint, right?
0: Uh, what would that be on? Because <laughs>
1: well, um, well, actually, Toyota still does it on some of their white cars. They'll have a single okay. stage paint that... It almost goes matte after a while. It gets matte looking. Gotcha. The whole point behind clear coat is to keep the color coat from fading or turning matte.
0: Mm. Gotcha.
1: The only thing in clear coat, other than just some other stuff, is just UV inhibitors. That's it. Interesting. That's the whole point of clear coat. And people, I don't know, people just get confused. Like, (laughs) (laughs) they think it's like this thick, it's not. It's three post-it notes and actually on newer cars, you really shouldn't even polish them because of how thin it is. Like you really shouldn't do it. You're really playing with fire. So anyways.
0: Okay. Oh no, I will con- I will continue not washing my uh, transit and we'll-, we'll be good. <laughs> Go for it. it's,
1: it's, you're just adding more protection on
0: top. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Uh, all that salt will eventually build up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah. One of my, one of my favorite quotes. I don't remember where I saw it. It was a long time ago. I think I was in co- college or high school is, is that you will succeed because people are lazy. And it's, it sounds very simple, but I found it to be 100% true. It is as a technician in the field is that the majority of people are inherently lazy. Myself included, if I let myself do that, I, I naturally would want to be lazy, but I'm like, nope, I need to get these things done. I need to put in some hustle. And that's where that, if you got some hustle, you're going to beat out the majority of people at oh, what you're for doing. Sure. for um, sure, and that's, I think that's, um, that's what you got to bring every day.
1: I, you're 100% correct. Um, I mean, humans, we, we want the path of least resistance, just the way, mm-hmm. the way human beings are. Um, it's the, I mean, actually in nature, it's the same way why do you think bears in Alaska bother to go into town and dig through garbage? Because they mm-hmm. don't have to hunt shit. Like, cause hunting's <laughs> hard. Like, yes, just yes, is. exactly. Um, but you're 1000% correct. And you know, this time that we're going through with the great resignation and everything like that, I think one of the things that will really come out of it, one of the interesting things that come them out of it is that people will realize how hard it is to do their own thing, because that's the reason why most people are quitting is because they're going and doing their own thing. The, the, mm-hmm. the, the, people out there saying they're doing it because they're lazy and they're getting government funded. No, they're not like <laughs> with COVID money ran out a long time ago, <laughs> like yep. a long, yep. long time ago. Nobody's living off COVID money. Um, it's because they started doing side gigs on Fiverr. They started doing MLM stuff, whatever, whatever it is. But they're going to realize how hard it is to do their own thing. And guess what? They're going to go back to working for people. So in Mm -hmm. one, two years time, maybe three years time, you're going to see a flood of new workers into the workforce. And that's a good thing because if you are working for someone right now, use it to your advantage and get paid. Get paid. Tell Mm -hmm. your employer like, hey, man. I'm one of three guys here and I'm the only one that can work on these vehicles. You're going to need to pay me. And if he doesn't move on, just, yep. just go somewhere somebody else, else. will, because somebody else will, you are in yep. an ex- because guess what? If you wait and you wait those two years and there's f- that flood of applications is you are, you have screwed yourself over because if you think that employer is going to be like, Oh, well, Jimmy's been with us for five years. So we're going to make sure he's taken care of No. No, that's not how that works. Okay.
0: Well, you Get you've just got the leverage in your favor right now. Yep. Every, every single shop I go to is looking for people and can't find people. And yeah, I was talking to one guy the other day and yeah, 40 bucks an hour is is what they, they hired him on at, at this place to be, you know, to be a technician and right. And I'm not saying anything wrong about that. That's fantastic. But that's what you can demand right now if you know what you're doing. Yep. And again, yeah. If somebody doesn't want to pay you, go look around because there's five other people that are desperate. And so, yeah, for whatever period of time that is in the near future, for sure, um, it is a fantastic time to be in the trades and the auto service yep. specifically.
1: Just be very careful with words like job loyalty and mm-hmm. shop loyalty and everything like that, because. <laughs> We'll see how much loyalty there is when, <laughs> when you're up on the chopping block and they're like, oh, you know what? Jimmy's been with us for a while, but he's only been turning four flag hours for a week for the last 64 weeks. We're going to keep yep. him around. Let's see, let's see how that scenario plays out. Because 10 out of 10, Jimmy's getting fired. Like, mm-hmm. And it was probably only took three weeks for that to happen. So anyways, guys, just. That's, that's my only take. Not everybody, not all employers are jerks. There are some people that care about you. Great. Show me how much you care about me. Thank you.
0: Yeah, for sure. Well, I think that's a good place to, uh, <laughs> We're gonna to wrap this up, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Pay me. <laughs> Pay me. <laughs> that's great. I'm
1: glad. In- inflation has increased a lot. Not 7%, like 10, 15%. Yeah. Um.
0: Yeah. Like but gas and groceries. Like, holy cow! I, I track all my expenses, and those two alone are just out of control.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um. I have a buddy. I, I swear. I'm sorry. I'll stop talking after this. But I have a buddy who owns his own detail shop. His uh-huh. utilities, literally, his water, water went up something like three times or four times from Jeez. just last year. Water. Like guys, like living is not getting cheaper. (laughs) Get paid. Nope. Yep. Yep. (laughs) All right. I'm going to stop talking now.
0: Cool. (laughs) Thank you for joining me tonight, Adam. I enjoyed this. It did not feel like an hour and a half. I feel like we've been talking for 20 minutes. So
1: (laughs) you are most welcome. (laughs) Short.
0: Okay, that's going to do it for today's episode. One more big thank you to Adam for spending the time and joining me today. I really enjoyed that. Make sure to check out the links in the show notes because we mentioned a number of different things that you can check out there. Uh, But I'd also like to thank everybody for listening to the show. As always, I appreciate all the feedback and messages that I've been getting from people recently. But with that out of the way, let's all get out there, start fixing the world one car at a time.